As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Hey, I am so excited to have you here today, and I am super excited to have Dr. Mark Costas here with us today. And, and by the time we finish our conversation today, you're really going to know what you can do to have a fulfilling career in dentistry. You can have a very deep experience and you don't have to hate the business of dentistry. You're going to have some strategies and a framework that you can use to, to navigate the gauntlet of practice ownership. But more importantly, you're going to feel empowered and inspired to, to take action so that you can build that practice that you've always wanted and enjoy that quality of life and remember what got you into dentistry in the first place. And, and today, super, super excited to have Dr. Mark Costas. And, and Mark's a lot of things, but one thing he is not, he is not a typical dentist. He's not a typical dental coach in any sense of the words. And, and in fact, he really credits a lot of his success to the fact that he made more mistakes in his first year of private practice ownership than most dentists make an entire year. And so, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Tim. I really appreciate you. And uh, thanks for having me on here. What a great intro. I love your uh, your production value of the show here. You should be very proud of what you've done. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that, right? You, you, you want to do things with excellence, just like in <laughs> dentistry, just like you've done. And so, you know, let's start with mistakes, right? So often people view mistakes as just that. They say, oh my gosh, I screwed up and, and I don't know what to do. What was your mindset with mistakes and, and failing and going through that first year of practice ownership? Yeah. I mean, I think I have to start even before that because, you know, as far as perseverance and struggle and failures, it started way before that. I, I um, had a learning disability growing up. So uh, and I was also a collegiate athlete. So my GPA wasn't awesome uh, trying to get into dental school. Uh, I was living in San Diego at the time. And um, when I graduated from UC San Diego, I had an average dental school application at best. So it took me three years to get into dental school. I, I failed 20 times. And on the 21st attempt, I finally got one single acceptance into dental school. So I came into the profession with a lot different uh, perspective than a lot of people. I didn't really take the profession, profession for granted like a lot of other people do once they get into the profession. So um, that's how I started um, with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to make sure that that particular you know, admissions committee didn't make a mistake. I wanted to, them to know that they didn't make a mistake on me by giving me a chance. And uh, that that's how my, my career kind of started. Um, and uh, it was all kind of sunshine and rainbows until you know, um, I actually got in, got into dental school, realized how much work it was going to have to be just to survive uh, the dental school process. When I finally got to third year, I realized that it wasn't all about memorization. The, it wasn't about the Krebs cycle and, you know, anatomy and physiology. It was more about learning how to uh, 
um, connect with people and how to communicate well and how to build trust and rapport very quickly. And those are areas where I felt that I excelled much more so than academics. And that's where my love for the profession really started to blossom. Hmm. So, so let's even back up, right? You, you had to submit 20 applications before you right, failed 20 times. Well, yeah. Where did that, that sense of tenacity come from? What, was that an internal drive? What, what made you want this so badly? Yeah, you know, dentistry was never on my radar. When I was 16 years old, I moved from Tucson, Arizona to Southern California, Agora Hills, California. Um, I was a baseball player, a football player, a, a wrestler. I was, I was always kind of an athlete because I didn't excel in academics. And that's, that's how I, I expressed myself. You know, that, that, that's what I found my comfort in was physical activity and competition. Um, when I got to Agora High School, uh, I tried out for the varsity baseball team. I was a, a scrawny little kid, 150 pounds maybe. Um, and uh, my very first varsity baseball game, a kid, I was a left fielder, a kid hits um, a deep fly ball in my direction. And I run to try to play this, um, this, what ended up being a home run off the left field fence, but it ended up in being a pretty, uh, physical, um, uh, collision with the left field fence. I ended up breaking my jaw, knocking out all of my, all of my upper front teeth. And, um, 18 months it took for plastic surgeons and dentists and dental specialists to kind of put my smile back together. And, and uh, it, was, it was through that experience that I kind of learned about dentistry and how similar it was to other medical fields and the miracles that they could do in, in transforming somebody's smile and their, and their confidence. So that was the time at which I decided that I wanted to go that direction and become a dentist. And um, really, aside from that, in entrepreneurship, there wasn't really anything else that I wanted to do. So as I'm applying, living in San Diego, working odd jobs, I was a personal trainer, a kickboxing instructor, and, and uh, a bouncer at a, at a bar. Those were my jobs during college and after college. I really didn't have anything else that I, that I had going for me other than this, this drive and desire to be a dentist. I, I was getting my MBA at the time. Um, I did get into to business school, but I was not um, getting the, the green light to go to dental school. So I decided to stick with it. I just kept on applying. All of my spare money went to, to dental school applications over and over again. But uh, sure glad that I stuck with it. Yeah. Well, right. So, so you had that, that sense of passion because you saw the difference that it made in your own life. And it sounds like that was really kind of a, a driving force to, to keep you moving. 100%. Yes, right. definitely. So, so definitely. talk a little bit about kind of the, this first year of practice ownership. And you've already kind of hit on it a little bit is right. There's a big difference between dentistry and entrepreneurship. And I love that you're right. You've kind of combined them into dentalpreneur, but those are very different things, aren't they? Oh my gosh. They couldn't be further from from one another, right? So us physicians, us scientists, and uh, you know, physicians of the oral cavity is basically what dentists are, especially if you see the types of surgeries that we do nowadays, Jeez, these all on X surgeries and these advanced crazy things that dentists are doing chair side, sometimes without you know, putting the patients to sleep and, and just extreme bone grafting and, and um, implant placement. We are legitimate physicians. If anybody was one, is, is ever wondering, they should just come into a surgical suite one day in any of my dental practices. My providers are legitimate surgeons, just like any other surgeon in any other medical specialty. But 
scientists and physicians of the oral cavity are very left brain pragmatic thinkers, right? So we think one way and that is, you know, scientifically, um, it's very difficult to expand that to business ownership when we're having to deal with, you know, the feelings of the patient, when we're having to deal with the management of human beings, when we're having to deal with things that we've never learned before, like how to balance, you know, um, management and all the different hats that we have to wear in practice ownership with, you know, maintaining this really, really uh, difficult trade, this profession that we've that we have uh, developed skill in. Um, there's a lot that we have to learn when it comes to business ownership. And there's barely enough time to learn the dentistry when we're in dental school. So the vast majority of us graduate ill-equipped to run a dental practice um, from a business side, that is. Yeah. Right, and, and, and right. most of the, the doctors I talk to, they never had the Business 101 course in dental school, right? They, they may yeah. have had a little intro or someone come in and speak to them. And that's about all you get. And now you, you've turned loose. You, you've you got to run a practice. You've got to manage patients. You've got to manage staff. How do you start learning and acquiring those skills? How, how did you start learning these things? Yeah, I was lucky. You know, during that three-year period when I was in San Diego, um, I tried to get a traditional job. But, you know, I don't think that I was ever meant to, to be an employee. <laughs> I didn't interview well. I, I You know, I got, the, I got the suit. I got the briefcase. I would show up for interviews. I didn't dazzle anybody. I didn't, I don't think I ever got a second interview for any of the jobs that I was applying to. I was a psychology major with an average GPA. I was getting my MBA at night, but I never did get a formal, like real, uh, what you would call a real job after, after undergrad. So I bought my first business, which was a catering truck franchise. So I was driving a catering truck around from construction site to construction site. And I learned, you know, entrepreneurship 101, um, in that first business venture. So for a couple years, um, I learned how to manage employees, how to do my own marketing, how to read um, financial reports. I learned really, really um, valuable lessons like the owner is the last to get paid. Um, I learned other things like um, the customer isn't always right, but you have to allow them to believe that they're right. Um, there's lots of things about business that I learned from that a business ownership experience during that three-year period of time. In fact, if you were, if I was to compare the business classes and the MBA executive MBA classes that I was taking, as far as um, how valuable that experience was versus owning my own, you know, food truck, I would say food truck was the most valuable experience, uh, and that gave me kind of a jump start into entrepreneurship and business ownership that most dentists don't get. Um, so, you know, I often say that. The fact that I didn't get in the first, fifth, tenth, or you know, fifteenth time into dental school is probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me because um, during that three-year period of time, I learned a lot about myself, um, what my character was all about. I met my wife during that three-year period of time, and I learned a lot about business. Well, Ray, it's so true. I'm married to a dentist. My father-in-law, very successful dentist, and he would always take on a project or or he'd help me through a project. And one of the things he'd say is he'd say, it's just like a semester in college, right? And if you have that approach, right, like you and your food truck, you learn things through these experiences that the college will never teach you. You just can't learn these things in a textbook. You have to do them. Yeah, it's absolutely true. There's nothing more valuable than that first six months in dental practice ownership, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're going in with your eyes wide open and your expectations are, are, um, 
are reasonable, um, you can learn more about the business in that period of time than you than you ever could, you know, trying to learn it um, in a business class. Now, you know, kind of continue on the theme of learning from some mistakes, right? You made a couple mistakes your first year in practice, didn't you? A few. Yeah. <laughs> Just about every mistake you could possibly make. Yeah. I, I came out of the gate swinging, right? So mm -hmm. um, I, I associated my first year. Um, I was smart enough to know that I didn't know anything about business. And I, I still needed some refinement of my clinical skill set as well. So I worked for a friend that graduated uh, three years before me uh, from dental school in Phoenix, Arizona. We worked in a very high, um, uh, a high volume practice in central Phoenix. Um, I stayed after every single day and I was a pest to the office manager. I would look over her shoulder and she taught me everything about, you know, insurance claims, um, how to uh, make confirmation calls, what a PPO was versus a Medicaid uh, patient, um, how to accept money, how to do treatment plans, practice management software, everything you could possibly need to know about running a dental practice. I learned from that office manager during that first year. Additionally, I was doing a ton of dentistry. So my clinical skill set um, improved significantly and I, I learned how to be fast and efficient. Um, so that was, that was what I consider my financial residency and my clinical residency all wrapped up into one. Um, and I made some pretty good money that first year. After that first year and my, my contract was up, I decided to strike it out and um, bought my first dental practice with a partner. We ended up buying two more practices in um, the first 18 months. So we owned three practices in the first 18 months. And um, it was a whirlwind. There was so much that we didn't know. Uh, There's so much that we didn't even know that we didn't even know. Um, so, so who were you and your partners turning to, to, to learn those things you didn't know during these times? Did you have mentors? Did you have other people help to, to coach you, right? Where were you turning to, to, to learn these things you didn't know? Yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we we leaned on each other <laughs> and uh, we just, just, like I said, we made a lot of mistakes and we did what so many other dentists do out there when they don't know what to what? do from a business side. Um, we, we recruited more patients and we did more dentistry. We produced our way out of a lot of problems because we were both gunners and we were both very productive and we are good dentists. So if, if there was not enough money in the bank account to, to pay for payroll, then we'd do more dentistry. We'd put it on the credit card, we'd do more dentistry. And it was just this, it was just this, um, you know, this wheel of this treadmill of trying to keep up with expenses when all we really needed was to take a good, hard, like educated look at about where the money was going, um, how our categorization was as far as our expenses. Uh, we were probably making a lot of bad decisions as far as where the money was going, um, how we were allocating things, uh, but we just were so novice that we did what most dentists do and many do throughout their entire career, and that's produced their way out of problems. Um, yeah, it Right. And that's so very common, right? Like you said, you know, you don't have enough money in the bank. Well, let's schedule some more patients. Like it's more hygiene days, right? Let's, let's get this machine running instead of, like you said, kind of approaching the business strategically, starting to look at the, the cash flow, starting to look at the profit and loss. And so when did that light bulb go on you? And, and, and let's actually even touch a little bit about just what was your overall life like then? Were you guys happy running the practice like that? Were you satisfied with that level of success or, or did you want did you want to fix it? 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good segue into, you know, this, the next chapter. I would say the first chapter was, you know, associateship. The second chapter was partnership, uh, multiple practice ownership, partnership. He and I um, ended up having some philosophical differences and we decided to split. Um, he wanted larger practices and I wanted uh, multiple practices um, in several different regions. So um, we had an amicable separation. I took two of the practices, he took one of the practices and we went about uh, doing our own thing. Um, and within probably, let's see, that was the first three years. Uh, within the next four years, I owned three more dental practices. So I was up to six practices by myself. So to answer your question, my life and the, my quality of life was not good. I mean, I was working 80 plus hours a week. I was doing uh, dentistry, probably in four different dental practices, uh, driving around the state. Uh, additionally, I was doing all the management for all of the dental practices. So that's six practices, 50 employees. Um, I didn't have a good business set up. There was no organizational chart. So um, I was the, the guy that was making all the decisions. Um, I was the person that people would ask every single question when it came to, can I have a day off to what kind of botting agent do I buy this month? That was all on me because I didn't know how to delegate and I didn't know how to create an organizational chart. I didn't know about systemization. I didn't know about any of it. I didn't know about executive teams. And that's when I had a near, a near breakdown. Six dental practices. I was hitting all of my financial goals. I was netting over a million dollars personally. Um, I had three small kids at home. I was married and um, uh, I realized that I had never been more miserable in my life. So at that point, when I finally hit the financial pinnacle, I, I decided it was time to, to downsize and see if I could uh, reprioritize things in my life. My marriage was on the rocks. My kids weren't ever seeing me. Um, and frankly, I was just not a happy, nice person to be around. Um, I wasn't a good boss because I was constantly frustrated and angry at work. Um, I wasn't a good mate. I wasn't a good spouse. I wasn't a good father. So I had a near, a near meltdown and I decided to sell four of the practices. I kept two of them and I went about trying to figure out how to restructure my two biggest practices the right way. And that's when I really went about um, getting some personal coaching, some business coaching, some marketing um, uh, people came into my life and we learned how to systemize these practices and run them the right way. Uh, once I did that, then I felt comfortable enough to kind of scale the operation back up again. We got all the way up to um, 16 practices. Um, over the years, we've expanded, contracted, expanded, and contracted. But no matter how big the organization gets, um, I have learned how to structure things the right way. I've learned how to use an executive team. I've learned how to delegate. I've learned about systemization. Those are the things that I think every practice owner, no matter how large their operation, if they're ever going to have a good balance and a good quality of life, those are things that they're going to have to learn how to integrate into their business. Yeah, right. And, and those are powerful lessons. Like you said, no matter how big you are, and I would argue even no matter how small you are, right, no matter your size of practice, right, we should be striving for good quality of life, right, not just making money. Now, maybe that that's your definition of good quality of life. It's certainly not mine, right? I don't want all the money in the world with a bad marriage and bad kids and right. I want those things to fall apart, right? The the money is what helps support the lifestyle so that you can build that amazing life. Yeah. 
So, so this is important no matter where you are in your practice, whether you got one practice or, or 75, right? Learning these things is so important. So, so what impact did, did the, the coaching have on you? And what were some of the lessons that, that you learned through that that really helped you know, build that better quality of life for you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've never gotten traditional coaching from uh, inside our industry. You know, I, I have been in lots of different masterminds. We were talking about this earlier. I've been in lots of different mastermind groups. I've had lots of one-on-one -on -one personal mentors and coaches. Some of them are dead. Some of them have been dead for a hundred years. Some of them, some of them I've personally met and spent lots of time with. Some of them I've only met through books and podcasts. Uh, but each one I learn a little bit from. I try to pull a nugget or a sliver of information from every book that I read, from every podcast that I that I invest an hour in, um, I try to pull something positive and implementable from each interaction. Right? Um, one of probably one of the more valuable things that we've created um, with the um, influence of a lot of my mentors is what we call the four futures in our in our coaching group, and it goes it goes back to making sure that we are creating this balanced life. And it's just a quick and dirty way to, to make sure that we are looking at all aspects of our lives and making sure that we are spending enough time and focusing on each area. So we break, we break our, our lives into four different quadrants. So if you draw an X on a piece of paper diagonally, we work on mind, meaning, muscle, and money. Um, money intentionally being the last quadrant. So uh, the mindfulness quadrant is how well we deal with stress, how, uh, how well we deal with um, some of the challenges that we face on an everyday basis. Do we handle them with poise, with patience? Um, in that quadrant, we focus on meditation and different uh, mindfulness routines um, that we kind of teach people and, and work through. The meaning quadrant is mostly um, how we appear to the world, um, how we are with our personal relationships with our work relationships. Obviously the, the muscle quadrant is our personal fitness and how we uh, put fuel into our body, the amount of sleep that we get, um, how much physical activity we get, um, how much fun we're having. And then, uh, then the fourth quadrant is the money quadrant. So if you're gonna go back to my example of where I was when I owned my first six dental practices, driving all over the state of Arizona, I would have given myself a 10 out of 10 in the money quadrant but I would give myself a zero out of 10 in all of the other quadrants. I wasn't healthy. My relationships were falling apart. <coughs> Excuse me, I didn't handle stress well. So, you know, to try to get a little bit more balanced, even if you have to, you know, give up a little bit in any of the quadrants in order to balance things out in the other quadrants, I think it's, it's, a, it's a worthwhile pursuit for sure. Yeah. Well, right. And it's interesting you hear talk about, you know, the coaches and the mentors, right? Whether they've been dead or alive or learning from them in the books, right? You know, so often, you know, the, the journey in dentistry can be a very lonely one, Mark. And, and, and so often you can feel alone. You don't have anyone else to, to struggle through this with. And so, you know, what role did, did having other people play in, in, in kind of creating that success, creating that amazing life of significance Oh, so huge. It's huge. You know, these mastermind uh, groups that I, that I came into, um, they weren't filled with other dentists, but they were filled with other, other uh, business owners that had similar struggles. Right. And, and dentistry is a particularly lonely profession. It really is because what happens is in dentistry, um, 
it's very competitive in dental school. So a lot of us silo off into our small little groups, our study groups, and you know, you get your hands on an exam or some notes, you don't share it with, with the other groups or your other classmates because everybody's competing for a higher grade in the class. And then you graduate and you get into these um, uh, smaller communities and to your marketplace and every other dentist in town is your competitor. So you're not going to share your best clinical techniques with the dentist that is right down the street. You're not going to share your best marketing campaigns with the dentist that's down the street. So everybody holds things very close to vest and they don't, they don't develop relationships and they, they find themselves in these situations where they're not talking to, to anybody that understands what they're going through. So that's why dentistry is particularly uh, a, a particularly lonely profession. But being in mastermind groups and being able to um, um, talk to other people about the, the business struggles that you're having is very valuable. But being in a, a dental mastermind group is even more valuable because you're usually dealing with people that are from, from all over the country, from all over the world, really. Our mastermind group has, has people from you know Europe and Australia, New Zealand, South America, all over the, all over North America. And we don't have uh, like this competitive nature about us. So we share all best practices. We commiserate together. Um, and that loneliness is gone once you can share uh, those types of experiences with other people. And that's very cathartic, but it's also, it also pr propels your, your, your business forward because you're able to learn from other people's mistakes and not have to experience them yourself. And that, I mean, that is the whole nature of mentorship and learning from others, from role models and modeling other people's success is not necessarily going through everything that they went through, uh, modeling the things that work for them and avoiding some of the pitfalls that they've fallen into in their career can be some of the most valuable um, interactions and uh, relationships that you can form. Yep. No, so, so true. And, and actually, I want to pause there because, you know, we're using some terms, mastermind, coaching, uh, you know, mentor. And I think maybe instinctually, maybe, you know, some of you listening have an idea of that. But some of you may be hearing these terms and go, what the heck's a mastermind, right? Well, you know, well, coaching, I like hire someone to come in my office. So let, let's kind of walk through what some of the different avenues of support that are available for dentists today. And, and, and some of them that maybe that you've used. And then, you know, I'd talk about what you're doing at Dental Success Institute also because i think it's just so powerful but but you know what's mastermind what's coaching what's mentorship and how do you differentiate between these yeah i mean thank you for asking that um there are lots of different levels of of information acquisition let's just say you know if if there were um some of the resources nowadays um uh, when i was in dental school that there are nowadays for dental students and young dentists I think that my, my journey would have been a lot less fraught with challenge and frustration. And uh, I could have saved myself a lot of aggravation and a lot of money uh, throughout the years. But there are so many free resources nowadays. You go onto YouTube and you type in dental practice marketing or dental practice management or anything like that, and you'll find free resources, right? I mean, when I started my podcast, I was the fourth dental podcast. And now there are over a hundred dentally related podcasts. And that's just six years later, right? So there are there is a dental podcast about every topic in dentistry that you could possibly imagine from clinical to hygiene, to practice management, to multiple practice ownership, to DSOs, to whatever you wanna learn about, that's available. Um, um, and there are, yeah. there are live conferences, 
there are lots of different ways that you can consume information and acquire information about how to run a more successful practice, how to become a better clinician, et cetera. That, that would be kind of the self education route. Yeah, because, right. I can go out and I, I can buy your yeah. thing and I can read it and I can implement it myself and hope I'm doing it right. Maybe I am. And and I can get a little success that way. Or like you said, find podcasts or just Google. You know, I get more patients in my practice and I've probably got a million Google searches telling me how to do that. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and a lot of people start that way. A lot of it is because um, that, those are the only resources that they can afford at that at that particular time in their career. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you are of a particular motivated mindset, you could take some information, a seed of information and turn it into something um, tangible, right? You could apply that in your dental practice and you can make a real difference. For a lot of people, it's difficult to do that because they have a lot of other things going on. It's very difficult without, without um, some sort of additional support to get traction with information that they acquire. Um, there's traditional consultancies where you get assigned a consultant, you get one consultant, they'll come out to your office, they'll do a number of assessments, they'll tell you what you need in your practice, they'll show you how to um, structure a marketing campaign to get more patients in your practice, maybe they'll train your staff, they'll teach your staff how to intake and answer phones, um, that's kind of more a traditional consultancy. And then there's small groups and mastermind groups like we have inside the Dental Success Institute. We currently have about 160 people in our mastermind group. Um, and we break off into quarterly events and we have regional events where we actually meet and we circle up and, and uh, we have what we call hot seats and we, we do small groups of 10 and we work through challenges through the collective wisdom of whoever's in your smaller group. And we have you know a portal where everybody can kind of communicate um, in a private setting uh, away from everybody else except for the other members of the group. That's what a mastermind looks like. We also have you know, black belt coaches that have gone all the way through our program. And these are people that have multi-million dollar practices. Their overhead is below 50%. They have a, a, a leadership score that is in the high 80s. They have a systemization score that's in the high 80s. And they help coach one-on-one -on -one with the other people, uh, the other people, the other members in the group. Yeah. Um, and then we also have D Dental Success Network, which is a collection of a thousand dentists at, at, as we're speaking here. It's a closed community. We have 20 uh, chat rooms in there uh, with 20 different faculty members. They teach you anything from, you know, implant placement to IV sedation to practice management and everything in between. Uh, we also have a buying group in there and uh, a very robust continuing education video library. So there's any number of different ways that you can consume content and get support to improve your practice. Yeah. Right. And, and actually mastermind, it comes from Napoleon Hill in his book, The Law of Success. And he defines it. It's a mind that's developed through the harmonious cooperation of two or more people who ally who, who ally themselves for the purpose of accomplishing a given task. And so it's, it's really working with other like-minded individuals together on a task. And, and, and you, know, you mentioned something earlier, Mark, that, that I think is so powerful. So I, I remember when I first joined a mastermind group, I was considering getting into it and, and it's very wealth advisor specific. So only people in my industry and, you know, I had some individual coaching and, and I was a little bit scared at first going into this group thinking, well, 
why do I want to work with a whole bunch of other wealth advisors? There's going to be all this competition. And right. And maybe a dentist listening to this is thinking, well, I don't want to be in a room with other dentists sharing my faults and my failures. But I'll tell you what I found all of a sudden was one of the most generous giving communities I've ever been part of where the person at the top of the food chain with the biggest practice will sit right down next to you and say, what are you working on? How can I help you? Because they know that they can teach you something, but they all have the attitude that, you know what, you probably have something that you can teach me. And so there's just this community of givingness that I found among these mastermind groups. And so, you know, kind of that abundance mindset versus scarcity. And, and that's something I know many people struggle with when they first consider joining a mastermind is that that competition piece. Yeah, you're so right. I thank you for bringing up Napoleon Hill as well. The first book I ever read cover to cover was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is, I mean, it must have subconsciously implanted this whole idea of a mastermind into my brain because I sought those out uh, before I created my own. And it's still the framework that I choose to run my businesses through. Um, but I love what you said there because this whole abundance versus scarcity mentality is so huge. That That is such a big um, idea to, to grasp onto. Um, you know, we purposely use the analogy of black belts because everybody understands that black belt means mastership in the martial arts, right? So we'll have white belts come in that are novice to dentistry or have struggled with practice ownership for a number of years and their numbers um, equal out to be white belt status. And a black belt will work hand in hand with a white belt. And, you know, there's no attitude there about status or where, where you line up or what your numbers look like because the black belt knows that if they're imparting any of their wisdom to the white belt, they're, they are reinforcing, you know, those ideas in themselves. They're making this other person a better person and they can always learn from the white belt as well. There's always something to be learned. In fact, you learn more when you're teaching somebody than, than you're being taught oftentimes. Yeah. Well said. And, and oftentimes you've looked at almost the analogy of it, like climbing a mountain, right? You want someone ahead of you, and you want someone behind you, right? I want to be learning from people way up the mountain who are helping pull me up. And then I want to be teaching that. And I want to be pulling people up behind me because that's how we get stronger together. And, and, and actually, you know, one of the things that we've seen is just a massive growth of mastermind and CEO groups. And, and it's something very in common today. If you look at some of the most successful companies out there, most of the CEOs are part of these mastermind groups and they're, they're there for a reason because they want to learn from others. And right. so talk a little bit about Dental Success Institute, right? I think you've got some conferences coming up. How can people find out more about that and, and what's going on there? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. TrueDentalSuccess.com is our, is our website. That's how you can find about any, of, uh, any, about any of our live events. We have two live events that are coming up. Uh, the one that uh, uh, I'm most excited about is May 28th and 29th at the JW Marriott. Yes, a live event at the JW Marriott in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yes, finally, we get to travel a little bit. Um, our keynote speaker is NFL legend Peyton Manning, uh, one of the most beloved uh, one of the most beloved sports figures uh, and iconic sports figures of our time. He'll be talking specifically about leadership and teamwork, overcoming obstacles, uh, which, you know, it's funny, when I put out some of the marketing materials, somebody on Instagram says, what does Peyton Manning know about teeth? And I said, it's not what he knows about teeth. It's what he knows about leading teams and overcoming difficult challenges and how to succeed in an uber competitive environment, which we can all learn from, not just dental practice owners, but it is particularly um, 
I think, applicable to some of the challenges that we face nowadays in dentistry. Um, I'll be speaking about systemization, um, overhead sure. control, uh, building a solid culture within a dental practice. Many of my black belt coaches will be coming up uh, on stage talking about their experience and how they are able to transform their dental practices and uh, sharing their expertise because they, in their own right, they are all extremely, extremely successful dental practice owners. You know, we have, we have black belt coaches that have anywhere from one mega practice to 15 dental practices doing $20 million in, uh, you know, gross revenue every year. Yeah, no, absolutely incredible. And, and these, once again, you know, these mastermind and CEO groups, I, I had the privilege, I helped underwrite a lot of research on mastermind and CEO groups out there called Reaching for the Stars. And it really is how driven entrepreneurs, dentalpreneurs, right, are, are using these mastermind groups and CEO groups to accelerate their success, right? I, I always like to joke, I don't want to be the pioneer because the pioneer is lying face down in the dirt with arrows in their back. <laughs> Right? I, I want to follow the pioneers, right? I, I want to go behind just like you, right? To learn and say, Mark, should I do this? You're going to say, no, Tim, don't you dare do that. That's the dumbest thing in the world. It's not going to work. Didn't work for me. Do it this way, right? There's value in that. And you can get shortcuts to success. And you can also catch those things so that you don't end up at the top of the ladder with your marriage and family and life falling apart, right? You can do this in a way where you have a life of significance. And, and, and I'm going to argue true dental success, right? It's not just about the money. Oh, I agree. Thank you so much for, for saying that. You know, if I would have had a mentor, I probably would have achieved financial success faster and, and in a more elegant way. But I also would have been able to hear from somebody you know, objectively tell me, hey, dude, whatever you're doing is working financially, but the rest of your life is falling apart. You know, you need to take a good step back and make sure that, you know, your health is in check, your relationships are in check. And, um, you know, it's not all about the money. It's not all about the commas and zeros in your bank account. That's for sure. Now, a couple of years ago, you actually did a case study on a Dr. X, right? Someone who has gone through the program. Can you share a little bit about Dr. X and, and, and what was going on in his life before and, and what it looked like after? Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was, it was actually, you've been to one of these before, a Dental Success Summit. It was, uh, it was in Scottsdale and there's probably about 750 people there. And um, we, uh, I like to walk through these case studies because um, I'll get up and speak first thing in the morning and then I'll have a keynote speaker and a couple other speakers and I'll do a part two, a part three and a part four. So So my case study will be over a four year period, a four hour period of time split up um, uh, amongst other speakers, right? So it'll be me, a couple of speakers, me, and then a couple of speakers. So I I have this common thread, the story that I tell uh, throughout every time uh, I give on stage. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk for an hour and then I'll, I'll hand the microphone over and then I'll come back and say, okay, back to Dr. X's story. And then uh, again, and then I'll do that several times throughout, throughout the event. And this time we did, we did something new because uh, in past years I've done case studies and those people, those doctors that I was doing these case studies are on. And sometimes incidentally, these, these case studies are about, you know, a cautionary tale. Here's what could possibly happen if you let things spin out of control and you're not, paying attention. And sometimes the case studies can be of a wild success story, which was the case of Dr. X. So Dr. X had come to me um, probably four years ago now, uh, very frustrated and disenchanted with the profession. Um, He uh, had a practice that he had acquired for about $475,000. It was doing about 
$550,000 in Louisiana. And he was, he was struggling because he inherited a staff that didn't have his back. Um, they were very attached to the beloved doctor. They were very suspicious of him. Uh, they had very particular way of doing business and they thought they were doing patients um, a service by, you know, doing bloody profies and by um, underdiagnosing. So he had an uphill battle to try to win this, this team over and it wasn't going well. Uh, the practice was underperforming and he just wasn't getting a lot of traction. So he came to us and we, we basically brought him through the entire process from, from A to Z. First things first, we, de we decided that there were some people on his team that were, that were toxic. We gave them the opportunity to um, change their behavior uh, in an effort to fix the culture. They decided that they were going to leave because they didn't like some of the uh, changes that we had implemented into the practice. You didn't have to fire anybody. They found their, their, their own way out to, uh, they freed their own future. Uh, so they left, we brought on some good people and we started building this organization from the ground up. Um, you know, fast forward uh, a year later, he had grown by about 50%. His practice was up to just over a million dollars. His overhead was, was down from 85% down to like the mid sixties. So things were starting to work. And then he found another practice uh, in the area that was uh, less than a mile away. A doctor was retiring. Uh, he decided to purchase that practice and merge it into his practice. And that was the beginning of a really nice incline in uh, productivity and new patients. And you know, uh, by the end of his third year, his, his practice had grown from about 600,000 to about $4 million with him as a single provider. Um, his overhead was down below 50%. Um, he now has a couple other associates in the practice helping share the load of the production, several really great um, hygienists, uh, super systemized. He's not stressed anymore. He actually works less than he did when, when he had a $600,000 practice and he's, you know, his, his income has tripled. Uh, his t personal take-home income has tripled in the last three years. So that's just one story. There's there's countless stories, but that one I, I like a lot. And uh, what was cool about Dr. X was he was able to get up. We didn't tell anybody that he was in the audience. He was able to get up at the end of my at the end of my fourth lecture. And I was like, well, here he is in the audience. Dr. X, he comes up on stage and we sat chair to chair and I just interviewed him podcast style. And he talked about the process and, and some of the things that he went through. Um, to get to the other side of all that struggle. Wow. It was cool. Absolutely amazing. And uh, wow, thank you for sharing that with us, Mark. So powerful. Yeah. Right. That's that's the true dental success that I think so many of you are looking for is right. Good quality of life, the income you want and really, you know, just just that ability to, to take care of the people you love, causes you care about, make that difference in the world. And Mark, you're certainly making a difference, getting out there and helping dentists and, and giving them the shortcuts and helping them learn from everything that, that you screwed up on. So thank you for doing that. And any, any closing thoughts for us here before we sign off? No, I, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. Thank you so much for the invite. I really do believe, you know, um, we were talking about this in the pre-chat, Tim, you know, greater than 50% of the dental population surveyed in many different surveys say that they would select a different profession if they, if they could go back and pick again. And I really believe that a lot of that comes down to the fact that many of us are siloed and alone um, and aren't in a supportive community. That's for one. 
And for two, a lot of the frustration from the profession comes from this lack of understanding about the basics of how a dental business works. Because if you understand how a dental, a, a, you know, a, a successful business works, you understand that you don't have to be the linchpin. You don't have to be the bottleneck in your business. All of the pressure and stress and responsibility does not have to rest solely on your shoulders. That's what delegation is all about. That's what systemization is all about. That's what building a, a strong culture and an executive team is all about. And if you know how to do that, you can have a great, fulfilling profession, uh, career, uh, in what I believe is the greatest profession in the world. It makes me sad because I was that person that tried for three years with my face pressed against the glass trying to get into the profession. And then when I finally got into the profession, I realized how many people were unsatisfied uh, with the fact that they were already in this profession and they were unfulfilled. It made me sad. And it was, it was pretty soon after that that I decided that I wanted to commit my life to, to helping dentists to um, have more fulfilling careers. Yeah, no, so, so, so powerful. And I, I know I certainly know that it's absolutely possible to have that fulfilling career in dentistry. We, we have some strategies, we have some framework, really that idea of getting mentors and guides and, and people to help us along our path. And, and I know I certainly feel inspired and hopefully you do too. So Mark, thanks for being a great guest and we'll see you next time on Dental Wealth Nation. Thanks, Tim. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at DentalWealthNation.com. 